Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we're on the road to Easter, and we're working our way into the celebration of Christ's death and his resurrection. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 15, which is the chapter on the resurrection. This is, this is where you want to go if you want to, uh, to tell anybody about uh, the, the impact of the resurrection on the life of the church. Chapter 15, we're in verse 3 through 11. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 11. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed." This morning, this is a wonderful passage. This is like the trailer of a movie, right? This is, this is the, the quick blurb that we'll see that will draw us into the rest of the, the message. And so uh, it's, a, it's a powerful thing. What he says in verse 1, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. This morning, this is a big deal. This is, this is the message of the gospel. This is what we stand for. When he says it's a first importance, he means this is the priority of the message. This is the message's priority. This isn't something that Paul has made up. Like we saw last week, it's an old message. This is an important message. It's the highest priority to speak of. It's also a necessity. When he talks about it being of of first importance, he's talking about how necessary it is that we understand this message right here. Another way of looking at it would be to think of, uh, of, of just the bare bones. When you talk about the gospel, when you talk about God's message, this is the bare bones of it. There's definitely more that you could say about it, but if you're going to share the gospel, you can share nothing less than this message. It's important for you and I today. As a matter of fact, he says, I delivered to you as of the first importance. It's also talking about its authority, right? All of these things reflect the significance placed upon it throughout Scripture. This message that we're going to see today, this is the the pinnacle of what God has done and what he has said. You must be born again. No other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. There's a a definite responsibility here. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Last week when we looked at uh, how Paul described the gospel, he described it as a message. He described it as not a new message. He said it's a specific message. It's a very personal message. 
Last week when he described the gospel, he said it's a good message. It's an important message. And then he said it's the only message. This is the message. Today we're going to see how he defines it. And he gives us two things as far as his definition of what the gospel is. Like I said, there's more that we could say about it. But you can't say anything less than these two things if you're sharing the gospel. The first one is that Christ died for sins. If you're taking notes, that's the first part of the gospel. Christ died for sins. He says in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. This morning when we think about the gospel, we need to understand that this gospel is about Christ. This is crucial. The gospel isn't that just anyone died. Everyone dies. That's the reality of the curse of sin. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins will certainly die. It is given for humans to die. And then comes the just judgment. The good news isn't that any man died. The good news is that the only man who is God died. Christ The gospel is about Christ. Of first importance, we need to understand that Christ is the center of the gospel. Not only is it about Christ, but it's about Christ's death. Death was required. For just a minute, think about the extreme of that statement. Christ died. Not that Christ had to stand in the corner or Christ got his hand slapped or or Christ had to pay a small penalty or even a large penalty. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died. That's as far as you can go. Death was required by the gospel. As we think about it this morning, as we go through this this passage, we must realize that you can't have a resurrection, right? Without a death, Christ died. Christ died. He didn't just suffer. He paid the ultimate price. But not only did he die, but he died for our sins. He died for our sins. This is the reason for the gospel. It's not enough to simply say that Christ died. That's not good news. That the God of all the earth was was killed and buried. That's terrible news. The goodness of the news is that Christ died for our sins. It's not good without that. The reality of of his substitutionary atonement. Paul talks about it like this. This is fantastic the way Paul talks about that. Look down in verse uh, 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul understands this. You remember Acts chapter 9, Paul is breathing threats and murder against the church. He's going around and he's grabbing people and separating families and hauling them off to prison and even, even standing by and approving of their death. When Jesus confronts him, 
and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul gets it. He understands in his very life the reality is that he is only writing this because Christ died for him, the persecutor of the church. Verse 10, he says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. The reality of the goodness of God's news is evidenced in this passage. Christ died for sins. I love that. This is the purpose, right? Christ died for the sins of his creatures. The purpose of his death was to pay for our sins. This isn't the only place we read this. You could, you could probably think off the top of your head of, a, of several evidences or several examples in the Bible where Christ died for sins. I'll, I'll just read, read a couple. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ died for sins. 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Galatians 1, 4, he gave himself for our sins. Romans 5, 6, Christ died for the ungodly. The message of the gospel that is of first importance is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus died to remove the stain of the sin that we cherish. Jesus died because we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Jesus Christ died. This morning, as we think of the gospel, take a moment. Would you just take a moment with me to enjoy the sweetness that God provides in this truth? You and I have hope because Jesus Christ took the sting of death. I've been thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for several months now. As I read the gospel... There are moments when I stand incredulous that Christ would die for me and I have to reevaluate where I'm coming from to understand the enormity of this. Do I believe this? Do I grasp this? Have I been forgiven? I think that's a good question. Paul refers to this often as he's talking about these kind of potentials. If then you have been raised with Christ, if you have, set your mind on things above. I'd like for you this morning to think about the reality of this passage. The good news is that Christ died for sins, but has he given you life? Do you understand that he has died for your sins? Have you been forgiven? Not the way our culture says, have you forgiven yourself? That's not the biblical principle. Have you repented and been forgiven? There is a relational aspect to this. God is loving. God is gracious. God is kind. But he's also just. He demands righteousness. He gives righteousness to those who come to him with a broken and contrite heart. That's the message. Repent. Repent. The response to the gospel this morning is just this. Jesus Christ died for sins. Do you believe this?
This morning, I would challenge you to think about it. Consider yourselves this morning. Why? Not only is it good that Jesus died for our sins, but it is good that Christ came back to life. Isn't that the most amazing thing that we could read this morning? I mean, look what it says. For I delivered to you, verse 3, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. It is good news that Christ came back to life. That's not the only news, but it is the bare bones. He died for our sins and he came back to life. He's alive. Jesus Christ is the only one who has conquered death on his own. What does this even mean? What does it have to do with you and I? It means this. At some level... For everybody, it means this. It means that the absolute worst thing that could possibly happen to a living being here on earth happened to him. He was killed. He died. But every other living being that has died has stayed dead unless Christ intervened. But even then, he still died. But Jesus Christ died but death could not hold him. He was raised again on the third day. That is good news. All of his promises can be kept now. All of his word can come true now because he will bring it about. He is alive. Christ was raised on the third day. Brought up, exalted, lifted from the grave. I love what Romans 10, 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's good news. This is good news. It's talking about taking the hand of the God who is alive. Lest you say that's just hard to fathom. I mean... That's just a spiritual resurrection. That's just a story that Christians use. Look what the Bible says. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And in verse 8, the eyewitness speaks, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Peter, or Paul here is writing to you to say, Christ died for our sins, and I have seen his living self. He appeared to me after he rose from the dead. That is good news. That is the good news. That is great news. This appearance is so significant. He really did appear to them. He really is Emmanuel or God with us. What we read at the end of every service in Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always means nothing if he's still in the grave. It has no meaning whatsoever for Jesus to say, Behold, I am with you always till the end of the age if he's still in the grave. That's where the good news is. He is no longer in the grave. This morning, 
Let's look at just one aspect of the resurrection that ought to cause us to pause and consider. A, Jesus is alive. This is the hope of Philippians 4, 5 through 7. It says the Lord is at hand. How can the Lord be at hand if he's dead? The power of this passage is that he died for our sins and he was raised on the third day. What a great testimony. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The God who lives. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How could that possibly be if he was dead? All of God's promises find their amen in Jesus Christ. He is alive. He's alive. The thing that that stood out to me at the end was according to the scriptures. Both of these points are so important. Christ died for our sins and he raised from the dead. And in both points, it says in verse 3 and then in verse 4, in accordance with the scriptures, in accordance with the scriptures. This phrase has to do with a huge appeal to authority. Paul is speaking as an eyewitness. But it's like we would say something, hey, I'm going to make this according to grandma's recipe or according to the map. We're going to appeal to a different authority. We're going to appeal to to something above us. Paul is doing this. In this passage, he's referring to something far greater than himself. Here in this simple summary of the gospel, Paul links it to the entire message of the Bible. And you and I ought to also. We ought to read this summary. And it ought to serve for you and I like a trailer to a movie. That we would look at it and and it lead us to this. We see, oh my gosh, Christ died for our sins. Christ was raised from the dead. I've got to find out more than that. I've got to find out what that is. This simple summary isn't like we used to use cliff notes because we didn't want to have to read the whole book. So we would just get this simple summary and then try to write our book report off of it. When Paul is giving this here for, for the Corinthians, he's saying, hey, guys, look at this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. This gospel is a springboard that we would dive right into the Bible. That we would look into it and see who is this Christ? What is this death? What are our sins? What is our hope? What is the power of God? That is the gospel. This morning, as we think about this message, as I close, I've got a couple of things that I think apply to us. In Romans 1.16, it says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, the truth that Jesus Christ died for our sins is the power of God for salvation. That he was resurrected is the power of God for salvation. The family and I got up early this morning and, and uh, joined the, the congregation at Buffalo City Church for... Uh, uh, about 20 minutes while we watched a gentleman that uh, uh, Corbin and Katie had the opportunity to lead to Christ be baptized. 
And his testimony was that he had thought he was a, a, a perfectly good person and he wasn't as bad as other people. But as he got to think about the gospel, Corbin said, hey, if you died, would you go to heaven? And his answer was yes. But as he thought about it, his testimony was, as he thought about it, he realized, why would he expect to go to heaven? I mean, what was special about him that, that he thought he could get into heaven? And as he thought about it, he realized that the more he thought about it, the sinfuler he, he, he understood himself to be. And God used that. Jeremiah describes the word of God as a fire that burns or as a hammer that crushes. And it worked in Dan's life. And Dan was convicted of his sins. And, and his testimony is this, that I realized I couldn't do it on my own. I needed to be forgiven. Only Christ could save me. And he fell at Christ's feet and he repented and believed. The application for you and I, maybe today, this morning, someone here has had their eyes opened by the Lord. Maybe in, in this short little summary, you see that your sins are real. This message is for you. Your sins are separating you from God. The gospel isn't good news for you because you haven't turned to Christ. Maybe you realize this morning that if you died right now, you would be condemned before God by your sins and you would have nobody to stand in, in the gap for you. Why would you resist the Lord any longer? Christ died so that you could live. Christ lives so that you can respond to him this morning. You don't have to die in your sins. The first thing for me that as far as application is, oh my goodness, hear the gospel and turn to Christ. This is the message, simplified. Another thing that, that, that stood out to me as, as a way of, of application for you and I is the content of our conversations. So often I'm told, Steve, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what, what to tell them. I don't know where to turn. I just get afraid. I'm nervous. I, 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 I don't have anything to, to respond with. Paul says this, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and Christ was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. Two sentences. You're one sentence away from sharing either or both of those. Well, I might get to it. No, the application is this is the first importance. This is. It doesn't get any more important than those two phrases. Church, for you and I, we need to look at the content of our conversations. The third thing was that we would know the love of God. The third thing is that we would know the love of God. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. This morning, that we would know the love of God. When it says that Christ died for our sins, he didn't die for our sins after we got our lives together. He didn't die for our sins after we improved ourselves or made certain changes 
It says, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. Why? Because he loves us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It makes me consider the love of God. Paul talks about it in, in, the, in Ephesians where he says, husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's two application points to that that are easy. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Christ died for sinners. We're sinners. He died for us, church, because he loved us. Husbands, <laughs> the application for you is that you would love your wives while they're still sinning. Do not make them improve before you love on them. Show grace and mercy. Do not force them to turn into something that they're, that they're not at this moment. Love your wives indiscriminately. Christ died for our sins. The application, husbands, is that we would die for our wives, even for their sins, as it were. You understand what I'm saying? Not the way Christ did for salvation, but that, that we would look at them and see them the way Christ looks at us and sees us. And still love them. Husbands, we've got a long way to go. Consider the relationship that is demonstrated by this kind of love. For the whole church, at the end of chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So now we move from the husbands just to all of us. Because Christ died for our sins. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While others are still sinning, we need to be kind. We need to be tenderhearted. We need to be gracious to them. We need to forgive them as God in Christ forgave us. The gospel means something. And lastly, I think of the power that God displayed in the resurrection is the power that is displayed in our lives. The sting of death is gone. The power of sin is ended. We are free. That's what Paul told the Galatians. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. We're no longer bound to sin. We're free in Christ. Christ. 